Now we're ready. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Haggai. Or you may have said Haggai at some point in your past. But turn your Bibles to Haggai, one of the minor prophets. We're preaching through the minor prophets. Uh, we are close to the end of these, uh, but I am, I've enjoyed being in these. Um, this is the last minor prophet of 2022. We start our Advent series next week. Uh, and so I'll be preaching on hope next week. Uh, there'll be four weeks of Advent, excuse me, Advent as we lead up to, uh, uh, to Christmas. Uh, I, I like to think of the minor prophets. I was thinking about this and just how rich they have been and how fulfilling they have been, at least for me, and I hope they have been for you. And, and I said, and I just wrote a note to myself, and I said, the minor prophets are like a delicacy that you rarely ingest, okay? A delicacy that you rarely ingest. So it's kind of like Wagyu beef or something like that. You know, I don't eat a lot of Wagyu beef. I like to eat beef. Uh, but I don't get a lot of Wagyu, so if I ever go to a restaurant that has it, I look at it on the menu, but it's usually too expensive for me to, to ingest at, a, at the restaurant. So uh, we'll just use these minor prophets uh, in place of it. Uh, my friend Ricky Dyer, uh, his grandfather uh, also talked about the minor prophets, and he said, uh, he said this, Grandpa Dyer said, you should read the minor prophets so when you meet them in heaven, you'll be able to say that you actually read their book. So uh, I thought that was actually a, a good thing as well. So uh, we'll take Grandpa Dyer's advice. You can at least say, hey, I've been through them all at least once uh, as we walk through the Minor Prophets. It's, been, it's, been, uh, it's certainly been profitable for me as well. <clears throat> uh, so today, uh, so we get, we're in Haggai, uh, who prophesied in the second year of Darius the king. And so Darius may be one of those kings that you're somewhat familiar with, but it's not the same Darius from Daniel. Uh, uh, so that's, that's usually the one that, if you're familiar with Darius at all, that you think about from the one from Daniel. Uh, but this was uh, much more later, much later than that particular Darius. Usually around, five, around 520 BC is when Haggai was actually uh, prophesying. Uh, and, and we get his prophecy here today. Most believe that uh, his prophecy covered only a period of about two months. Two months. And so you think about that, and I think it's interesting how two months' worth of his life, and this guy, Haggai, uh, fulfilled the, 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 the mission that God had sent him on. I'm, I'm sure he did some other things in his life. He didn't do just something for two months. Uh, we don't know what that might have been. But for two months, God called him to a specific mission, and he completed his mission uh, in two months. Now, as a church planner and, and somebody that plants churches and it's in and around the church planting world, you certainly hope your church plant lasts for more than two months. Uh, but honestly, what we hope for in planting churches and people being called into the ministry is that their ministry will have a lasting effect like Haggai has had. No matter how long it goes, uh, we want the, the impact to be more than necessarily the longevity. Because some things can last a little bit too long. Amen? Yeah, so that, that can be the case uh, uh, for sure. And so historically, uh, we were just in Zephaniah uh, last week. I preached from Zephaniah. And that was written uh, before the fall to Babylon. Um, if you remember, he was writing that this, this group is coming, and they're going to take you over, and it's going to be really, really bad. Remember how downtrodden last week was? 
Remember, this, this, today's a little bit better, so it's, you'll get a little bit of a reprieve uh, today as we're preaching through Haggai. Uh, but uh, uh, Zephaniah talked about the judgment that God was going to bring and that it would be coming soon and it would be coming through Babylon, that Babylon would be the one who was bringing judgment on the people during that time. Uh, And and then they end up going into Babylonian captivity. And uh, Daniel and Ezekiel, if you go back further into the Old Testament, that's where kind of Zephaniah belongs in there with Daniel and Ezekiel. And uh, uh, but now, uh, as we get into Haggai, uh, we know that the Babylonian captivity is actually over, and so they've moved past that particular uh, captivity. And so a remnant, I would say, probably some fifty thousand or so have gone back to Jerusalem, and they've started rebuilding the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Say Zerubbabel. Say it again. Zerubbabel. Uh, So I like to say that. Uh, Zerubbabel and uh, Joshua. Uh, But they get harassed by the Samaritans. The Samaritans had been there in the particular area, and they were doing some work there while while this uh, uh, group of some 50,000 exiles were in captivity. And so the Samaritans came and offered them some help. They were like, hey, you want us to help you rebuild the temple? And, and so, um, uh, so, so the people said to them, you guys are a bunch of mongrels. You just, why don't you just get away from us? We don't want to have anything to do with you guys. And so why don't you just beat it? And so the uh, Samaritans, they began to send letters to the king of Persia going, hey, I'm just going to tell you, you need to check out these dudes. They are rebellious. Their whole history is out of rebellion. If they build a city, uh, they're going to rebel against you once they get the city built. And so we learn again in some of these Older Testament texts that the king of Persia offered a cease and desist order. And he was like, no more, no more rebuilding the city. Uh, and, and so then uh, through other circumstances that... Uh, Uh, this group of Jewish uh, returning exiles, they said, look, we have the permission of Cyrus. We've got the papers that were given to us, uh, permission to rebuild. And he's like, check the records. And so they they were allowed to go back and rebuild the city. And so you'll you'll see about that in Nehemiah. Uh, So so as you're kind of putting this in its proper place, uh, Haggai goes in and around Nehemiah, rebuilding the wall. And so you're going to, if you go back and kind of put it in its proper place, context, you'll find it there. By the time that people had become interested in building the wall, uh, uh, or, or the time when the wall was needed to be rebuilt, rebuilt they had kind of lost interest, and they were actually spending their time rebuilding their own homes. So that, the stuff that I just told you about took some time to pass, and people got disinterested. They were like, uh, you know, it's like they had some worldwide pandemic, and nobody really wanted to go back to their churches. And so, oh, sorry, did I say that out loud? Uh, uh, and, and so, uh, so they were, uh, they, they just kind of become disinterested in the things of the Lord. And so they were interested in doing their own thing. Uh, they were more interested in building their own places, fixing up, making their places so much nicer. And the temple was falling into ruin. So Haggai comes along and he's encouraging the people to get back to work, to get back to doing what it is that God had specifically called them to do. And so his prophecy and what we're seeing here today is really about encouragement and about rebuilding uh, the temple. 
And so this takes place around, uh, again, around Nehemiah and Ezra. You can read that. And that's where this kind of, again, fits into it. I'll, I'll sidebar here and go just as a reminder, as you're reading through the Old Testament, the way that things are grouped together, you get the history. Uh, that, that's like the long story in through the Old Testament. Then you get some poetry in around Psalms and Proverbs and uh, a few books around there. Uh, and, and then you get into the, the major prophets and then you get into the minor prophets. And so the way to understand this is you have to take these minor prophets and these major pro prophets and put them back into the story. You tracking with me there? Like all this stuff just doesn't happen in your Bible, even though it's laid out and you would think you just read it one book after another. Uh, these minor and major prophets come back on top of the story that's going on. So this Haggai comes in around Ezra and Nehemiah. Tracking with me? Give me a head nod if you are. Okay, good. So uh, let's get into our text today. We'll get into Haggai uh, chapter one. We'll read the first five verses. Uh, if you, I hope you've got a Bible. Who doesn't, who doesn't have a Bible needs one right now? Cause we're going to use it. Raise your hand. We'll bring you one. Yep. Right here. Here's one. Anybody else? We'll give you one. It's our gift to you today. Yep. A couple over here. Is that the preacher's kid? Yeah. My gracious alive. <laughs> PKs. What do you do with them? Anybody else? Awesome. Uh, find your place there again, and we'll jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1. The second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, these people, Lord, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And so uh, right off the bat, look back with me in verse 2 again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And in verse four, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So the first quote that we get is from the Lord. Consider your ways. He's like, think about this. Think about the decisions that you have made and you're making right now. And so it's interesting that Haggai uh, says that the Lord is telling his people to consider. Just think about this. You know, there's lots of things that we probably do that we don't really take consideration about, that we don't really think about too much. It seems that we've kind of become kind of shallow people. We know about a lot of stuff but we don't know a lot about much stuff. We know a lot of things, but we don't know a lot about it. Like we know like porquito. That's a little bit uh, about a lot of stuff. We can watch TV. There's a plethora of news organizations. There's a, like tons of stuff you can watch on TV. You can watch stuff online. Uh, you can watch uh, news, sports, politics, cooking, whatever you want to find on TV or on the internet or whatever it is, you can find out and you can know about a lot of stuff. We've become, become extremely broad people. And I'm not talking about our bodies for maybe some of us, uh, 
Uh, we're broad people, but we just don't know a lot about anything. Have we really stopped to consider things, uh, consider things more deeply than we typically do? The Lord is saying, take a look at this. Th think about what I've just said to you. Consider this now. And so Haggai, the prophet, is calling the people to do just that. Consider your ways. And I, so I'll ask you that question. How often do you consider your ways? Let me phrase it a little bit different, and I'll phrase it in a statement. Consider what direction your life is taking. I'm not asking you if you ever do. I am telling you to do that right now. Students, where are my students in here? Raise your hands. Raise them high so I can see you. Okay? How about moms? Moms, where are you at? Put your hands up high so I can see you. What about dads? Raise your hand. Raise them up high so I can see you. Husbands, raise your hand. Wives, raise your hand. If I didn't call your category, raise your hand. <laughs> to each of you who raised your hand, and to those who are rebellious and didn't do what I asked you to do, I'm talking to you too. Uh, consider what direction your life is taking. I, I really want you to take a minute right now and consider what direction your life is taking. Take an inventory of what direction your life is taking. Just close your eyes. I just want you to be with yourself, with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, revealing something to you, what your life is doing. Is your life in a good path? Is your life on a destructive path? Is your life on a rebellious path? Is your life on an apathetic path, which means you don't care? Is your life trending towards anger? Is your life on a peaceful path? Consider your ways. Look with me now. Open your eyes. Follow with me along in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Here's what the Lord says. After he says, consider your ways, he said, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, you have sown much. You think about that, you know, a lot of big agricultural uh, time during that time. They've sown much. Anybody, anybody grow up in a farm in the country? Anybody do that? Not many. This one falls on deaf ears. Uh, yeah, different country, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, 
So if you've grown up in the country, then you sow. You know you're going to sow seed. You're going to have to uh, work the ground. You're going to have to put fertilizer down. You're going to have to sow seeds along the way. And you expect some harvest to come. Everything doesn't just come from Kroger. Uh, and so food's got to get to Kroger from somebody that's actually doing the work. And so farmers actually think, hey, I'm going to do all this work, and I hope there's going to be a great harvest from that. But this is what the Lord says. He said, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. You put a lot of work in, but you didn't get much for it. He says, but you eat, but you never have enough. Like you're shoveling the food in your pie hole, but it never seems to be enough. You just keep eating and keep eating. You're like, I can't ever be satisfied. You drink, but you never have your fill. And you just drink again and drink again and drink again, but it never seems to be enough. You put on more clothes, but can never get warm. I'm so cold these days. For whatever reason, my core temperature has reduced for whatever reason. And, uh, and I'm always cold. And I can't ever seem to get warm enough. I can sit under blankets at home. I feel like I'm 85 or something, and my skin is thin or something. No offense to anybody 85. I'm just telling you what I feel like. And I'm like, put, give, give, me an, give, me an Afri- give me an African to put on and, and, uh, and give me a shawl or something to put on me so I can stay warm, you know. Uh, but I can't ever seem to get warm. But that's, the text says you put on more clothes, but you can never seem to get warm. You make money, but you never have any. Come on. You know what I'm saying? He says, consider your ways. Consider what you're doing. Consider the direction that your life is taking. Does any of this sound familiar? You don't have to even respond. Just think about it. Consider your ways. Lord goes on and and reiterates this again in uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Look at the text. And he says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it became little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain and the new wine, the oil on, on, which, on what the ground brings forth, on man and on beast and on all of their labors. And so God says, I've told you to go get wood to build my house And essentially what he's saying is, you took what I told you to do and investing in building my house, and you've gone and actually used it to build your own houses. This was supposed to be for the temple. But you've chosen to go on and and just do your own thing. You thought what you were doing was better than what I told you to do. But now, he says, since you've continued to neglect my house, which is what he just told us in the text, and what I've commanded you to do, verse 9 says this, you looked for much, but it became little. You brought it home, but I blew it away. I mean, there are times that you think, where in the world is all my money going? Hey, how in the world am I not making the ends meet? How in the world am I not continuing on? I should be, I should be getting ahead now. You read this text? You think the Lord didn't blow it away sometimes? And did I say that my house lies in ruin? The Lord says that. While you're at home working on your own home, verse 10, here's how it feels to be on the other end is basically what he's saying. Here's no rain. Here's no dew. Here's no drought on the land. Uh, there's, uh, on the land, the grain and the new wine and the oil. On man and beast, there'll be a drought. 
And God, it's like God is saying, hey, you're going to withhold things from me, the things that I've instructed you to do, the things that I've told you to do. You're going to withhold those things from me. Let me just show you the way that is. Let me just give you a little porquito glance into that. And so here's my next question. What are you withholding from the Lord? What are you holding back from the Lord? What is it that you're so consumed by, so enamored with, so distracted by, that you're withholding your life from the Lord? Some of you withhold your time. Some of you withhold your time from the Lord, and you go, I- I've got about an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. And honestly, I'm going to cut out of this service too, a little bit before everybody else does, so I can beat this gigantic crowd (laughs) out of the parking lot so I can make it to Waffle House next door before anybody else. Some of you withhold your worship. Man, we sing good songs here. Our band is fantastic. And and we sing the songs we sing for a very specific reason. Our songs are chocked full of gospel truth. Like it's a, if you suggest a song, it's like going through some military establishment to get into, to actually get that song sung on the stage. And and that's intentional. We're not here to hurt your feelings. So don't, don't wear your feelings on your shoulder. But our songs are very intentionally chosen because they're full of truth. You may hear a song on Caleb or whatever your thing is that you listen to Christian music on. And half that stuff on there is garbage because they don't even, they don't even teach truth. Or they teach some heretical teaching or something. I listen to Caleb too. I'm not saying you can't listen to Caleb. I'm just telling you, we're very particular about what we sing in this church in our gathering time because we will, that's what I've told you before. You're going to remember a lot of that stuff that Larissa and Aaron sang, sometimes more than the stuff that I tell you. These are good to sing. I'm stepping on toes. You know what I'm saying? You can shake your head yes to that. But some of you don't even sing those songs. You're like, I can't sing, preacher. The music's loud enough, ain't nobody going to hear you but the Lord. So sing. Sing, people. You withhold your discipleship. Here's what some of you think. I mean, I know that church does gospel community groups, and I know that's what they've set up for the thing, but I liked Sunday school, so I'm not going to participate with them. You know, preacher, I'm just too busy to be part of a gospel community group. Honestly, I'm smart enough, and uh, I'm good enough, and doggone it, people like me. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I don't need to go to a gospel community group because I've got this whole thing figured out. I could probably teach one. So you don't even choose to be part of a gospel community group where you're growing in grace together, where you're learning together, where you're asking questions together, where you're wrestling through hard texts where you're encouraging one another, where you're praying for one another, where you're hearing one another's story. And you think you've got it so figured out that you don't have to be part of that. It blows my mind. You withhold your uh, giving and generosity. We say from this pulpit many times that this is a generous church. And overall it is. But all of you are not generous. 
Some of you are flat out stingy. Some of you come and take advantage of the church by coming and drinking the coffee and coming and sitting in the nice chairs and hearing all the good music and hearing adequate preaching and, uh, uh, and hear all this kind of stuff. And you go, yeah, I know that we take an offering every week and I know there's four different ways that you can give online, but I'm not giving anything because I just don't feel like it. They're doing, seem to be doing fine without me. So I'll just withhold my giving from the church. That's just withholding some things that God calls us to do. Uh, we, we always say this, God doesn't need your money, but the Refuge Church needs it to keep the lights on and to pay the salaries and to do mission works. And when people come in and need a meal to pay for that, the Refuge Church needs your money to keep doing the things that God's called us to do and be. Don't withhold those things. Many of you have gotten so distracted with other things that go on in your lives that you just move right past the things of the Lord. And though you may not think of it this way, you're withholding some of your first fruits or some of your best from the Lord. Your time, your worship, your discipleship and growing deeper and knowing the knowledge of who God is, your giving, you think much like the people in this text that your ways are better than God's ways. Look, this is just my job to stand here and say, this is what the Bible teaches us. Jesus reminded this, uh, this in the New Testament. He, he said, he said uh, uh, to do the very opposite of what some of us are doing. He says, seek first, say first. Let's try that again. And everybody participate. Seek first. Say first. first. Thank you. The kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The people in our text, like many people today, had messed up their priorities. They were out of whack. Some of your priorities are out of whack. Or they are whack. Is that what you say today? They, said, they thought about themselves first. They were seeking their own luxuries, and as a result, they didn't have enough. They were seeking to provide for their own physical needs, their clothing, their food, what they were going to drink, and they never had enough. That's what that part of the text was telling us. Let's keep going. Look at uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, uh, the, Lord of, uh, the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius uh, the king. And so I think there's some beautiful things uh, in this text. And it's kind of the beginning of redemption for those who have withheld things from God. First thing is the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. The Lord said something and the text tells us that suddenly the people began to obey the voice of the Lord. And then the Lord says this, hey, I'm with you. I I'm going to be with you. 
You see that in uh, verse 13. And, and then it says that the people have, well, worked on the house of the Lord. They're like, oh, this is what you want us to do. This is what you've called us to do. This is the work that you've called us to right now. And honestly, that would make for a, a great sermon. You obey God, you, you're reassured by God, and you follow instructions from God. That's a great text to just preach at a, at a, for a sermon sometimes. But this is what genuine repentance looks like. They, they were doing one thing. They were going in a direction. God speaks to them, and suddenly they're like, oh, this is true. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm sinning against you, God. And they turn and go in a different direction. Look, all of us mess it up sometimes, regularly. That includes this guy. I, I mess it up big. All of us sin, sometimes egregiously, including this guy. All of us need to repent and turn from our sins by confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness. You, me, all of us need to confess our sins from time to time, just like we see repentance happening uh, here in Haggai chapter 1. The Bible reminds us that, uh, that God is faithful to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all, say all, all unrighteousness. We sing a song that goes like this. I hadn't sung in a long time. So today's the day. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. You know this one? Stronger than darkness. You know what it is? New every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Do you hear that piece in there? New every morning. New every day. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's move on to chapter 2. We'll go through the first nine verses here. Uh, this is what is said. In the seventh month, on the 20th, 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Think about that. Come back to that. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant which I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet one more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with the glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so, uh, if you remember, the temple of Solomon was this grandiose place. I mean, it was like, the, like nothing that had ever been built before. Nobody had ever seen anything like it before. Uh, it was extremely glorious, an extremely glorious dwelling place. But it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's troops. Now, in the book of Ezra, which remember I told you Haggai kind of comes back into that book of Ezra, if you push it back into where it belongs uh, in the text, 
Uh, so we, be, we see in Ezra that they began to lay this foundation for this new temple. And in this new temple, the young people who had been in captivity for their entire lives looked at this temple and they were like, this is awesome. I mean, this is amazing. It's probably like us coming to this building when we planted the church. We're like, we've got a building. Look at all those cool paintings on the walls. <laughs> Sorry, that's for the people. That's for the remnant that was actually here in the beginning. Um, it was, this was the ugliest building, uh, even more so than it is in Lakeland, uh, when we got it. Um, and so the young people, the text tells us in Ezra that they were dancing and they were happy. And it says, we are laying the foundations for the Lord's temple. But the older people who had seen Solomon's temple, who had actually gotten to view it and go into it and, and, and worship the Lord in it. Uh, when they saw how paltry this new thing was that they were building, they said, they, the, the text tells us in Ezra that they stood there and wept. That their heart was heavy over what this new building looked like, over what the glory of the new temple was. Uh, look again at, um, uh, well, I, we'll skip this part. They were distraught over the lack of beauty in this new temple because it just did not compare to Solomon's temple. But rather than chastise them, the, instead of the Lord chastising them for them being sad over this, he tried to encourage them. This is what he says, yet now be strong for I am with you, declares the Lord. The Lord reminded them that no matter what may be going on around you, no matter what today looks like compared to the past, and though today may seem different than it did before, God says, do not fear. Do not be distraught. Be strong, for I am with you. Refuge, this, that, that teaching, this particular thing is what we long for as followers of Jesus. For the Lord to be with us. For his presence to be in and, and literally living inside of us. I mean, who of us could not lament the fact that everything wasn't like it, we expected it to be? I mean, this church, if any church, could go, man, there's been some hard years. There's been some difficult things. And today where I am is not where I expected to be. It's just very different than where I thought that I would be at this particular time. All of us could probably nod our heads or raise our hands and say, I get that, preacher. But know that the sovereign king has set a pathway for each of us to travel. And he reminds us, uh, and he reminds this particular remnant in the text that though their sins were many, his mercy was more. And so they repented, and God was reestablishing them and reestablishing the temple, though it was different. And then God promised that one more time, sometime in the future, that he would shake the heavens and the earth, he would shake the sea and the dry land. He said, look, all this belongs to me anyway. The dry land, the water, the sea, the silver, the gold, all this belongs to me. And in a glimpse of what I think uh, is yet to come, even today, is yet to come, the Lord says again that he will shake the heavens and the earth. And then he says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And that latter glory will be the peace that only he gives. And we know that that's found only in Jesus. 
What a folly it is for us to put our hopes in the things of this world. Because they can be shaken. They can be destroyed. They can be taken away in an instant. The life we live, the life you live, the things you enjoy can be gone in an instant in this world. Refuge, we need to be putting our time, our energies, our efforts into the spiritual things and things that cannot be shaken, things that cannot be taken away. Whenever everything around us maybe seemed to be shaken or fallen apart or whatever it is, the things that we do for the Lord, the relationship that we have with the God of the universe cannot be taken away. You only have one life, and it soon too will be passed for all of us. We get, what, 70 some odd years on average, and we're done here. It's vapor, quick, it's fast. And only what you do for Jesus will last. That kind of rhymes. Everything that you build for yourself, your estate, all those things that you're saving up for, I'm not telling you not to do those things. I do those things too. But all those things like that just become wood and hay and stubble. It's all going to burn up someday. Only what you have stored up spiritually is going to be lasting. God is saying, consider your priorities. Consider your priorities. What's important to you, think about it. Think long and deep and hard about those things. What is first in your life? What is taking priority in your mind and your life? Take note of what the Holy Spirit is impressing on you right now. Look, the, the Lord impresses some things on us. He did for me as I'm writing this sermon. And the Lord may be doing that for you right now. Take note of those things. He goes on in verses 10 through 14. I've got to read fast. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the, in the fold of his garment, like sticks a stake in it and <laughs> touches it with the fold bread or stew or wine or oil or anything kind of food. I mean, this guy's like a hoarder. He's like, give me some of that bread. Pour some of that stew in this pocket. You know, that's, that's the way I read it. Uh, uh, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any one of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, of course it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. And so this is kind of an interesting interlude here. It's another time uh, the Lord speaks like five times to uh, Haggai throughout this thing. Uh, again, through his little short uh, two month ministry. Haggai is saying, um, the work that the people have been doing is really of no benefit to themselves. He's just reiterating what he's already said. He said, actually, the work that they've been doing is kind of like uncleanness because it has no lasting spiritual value, no spiritual longevity. All the business, all the distractions, all the other things have no spiritual value before the Lord. And so basically, all your personal business and religious activities are not lasting. Now, let me clarify religious activities. I'm talking about going through the motions, like some of you do today. 
you have religious activities because you just go through the motions. I, I did it for a long time. Just go through the motions. You, you have a checkbox mentality. Yep, did my church thing. Boom, done. And in that, there's no life-givingness in that. There's, there's, no, there's no spirit of God that is uplifting you, that is changing you and conforming you into the image of Jesus. If we're just checking the box, and I went to church this Sunday, and I did the thing, I dropped a 20 in the offering plate, and, and I did all those things, there's hardly any life change in that. And, and that's what he's talking about here. He says that that stuff is not lasting. That there has to be something stirring within you that actually gives you life, that actually makes life come, uh, come around in you. And he keeps on going after that. Look what, in verse 15. He says this, Now then, consider from this day onward. I'd say that to us. Consider from this day on. We can do nothing about the past. Listen, no matter what you're hearing from this, you can't change anything you've done already. Nothing can, what's behind you is behind you. Can't change a thing. So he says, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came for a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. It looks like a pattern there. When one came from wine, a vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the pro products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is, this, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. And, and so uh, he's saying... Look, you've been going through some really tough times, and, and I think it was more of a, a financial thing where they just didn't have enough, the ends wouldn't meet, and, and so he's like, you've been going through a really tough time. You haven't had enough to go around. You've been going through some hard times, but it's because your priorities were wrong. Everything was out of place. You were putting your needs and yourself first, and he says, put me first. Put me first. That's what the Lord was saying, and I'll take care of your needs. And so as they began to build the temple again and begin to give themselves to the labor of building the temple, the prophet came and said, mark this day, things are now going to change. From here on out, I'm going to give you plenty. Now that you're getting your priorities straight, now that you've put God in the place where he should be, which is the preeminent place in your life, having put God first and, and, and now God's going to take care of you, He'll provide for you, and, and the text says at the end, but from this day on, I will bless you. Now, listen, church, this doesn't mean that everything's always rosy. It doesn't mean that there's never a struggle. It doesn't say that everything will always operate on your timeline. That's, that's health, wealth, and prosperity preaching. Turn to Jesus, give enough money, he'll, he becomes your genie in a bottle. That's not, what, that's not what the gospel's about, and that's not what we preach at this church, Okay? That's not what this text is about. But what God was saying to the people at the time was, turn, repent, come back to me, and these things are going to begin to go your way. But this does reiterate the biblical truth that God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. One last thing, and we're, I've got to get through this. Haggai 20 through 23 says this. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. 
saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and the overthrow of the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots of the riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one uh, by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Uh, very quickly. Uh, he tells Zerubbabel, I'm going to overthrow all this stuff at one time. And he said, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. Now, a signet ring uh, was uh, one of those things that, uh, that signified authority. And, and so uh, God is giving a promise to Zerubbabel that he's going to restore that signet ring. Essentially, while uh, uh, Israel was in, uh, part of this uh, uh, group was in captivity, it was like that signet ring had been removed. And they were no longer in authority, and they no longer had God necessarily showing them favor. But what he says is, I'm going to put that signet ring back on you to show the authority of which that I'm laying back on you today. And so Zerubbabel ends up in the line of David. Uh, uh, he leads the people to respond in obedience to God. And essentially, God speaks to Zerubbabel and says, I'm going to restore all this uh, to this thing to which now is rubbable, you are tied to. And so the tone of this particular piece of the, uh, the last part of Haggai's letter is both messianic and, and apocalyptic. Now, what do you mean by that? Messianic says that this points forward to the coming Messiah, okay? That Jesus is going to come and fulfill all this. And it's apocalyptic to say that there's also some things that are going to be coming toward the end of the age. So it's kind of both of those here in Haggai. Uh, so in and through Zerubbabel, God renews his promise and he shows these three things. And with this, I'm going to wrap up. He shows these things. Saying, he says, he shows redemption. He shows the coming kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. That's kind of a, a picture that he shows here. And, and so you say, well, so what, what, what does that mean, preacher? I, I think Haggai is one of those books. Come, stay with me. I, I know I'm long. I know. I'm, I know. Stay with me. Almost done here. Haggai is one of those books um, that could really be applied to today. He says, consider your ways. And, and Haggai's asking us to do a couple of things. Here's the first thing. He says, examine your priorities to see if we're more interested in our own pleasures than doing the work of God. That's the first thing we've got to consider. Secondly, he says, keep at God's work even when we run into opposition or discouraging circumstances. It's going to happen. Thirdly, he says this, confess your sins before the living God. We have an opportunity to confess our sins. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fourthly, he says, act courageously whenever we're called to do something in the Lord, for the Lord. Look, we planted a church 13 years ago. None of us had any experience. And we did it because we believe God called us to do something. And by his grace, we're still here 13 years later. I believe it's because God called us to do something and he said, this is mine and I'm just going to do something with it. What's he doing in your life? What's he calling you to? Know this, that God is sovereign over his creation and will bring to pass what he has declared. 
So like the prophet Haggai, I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to turn from this lifestyle that you've created, this bubble that you've built yourself in and insulating yourself from really the call of the Lord and the direction of the Lord and the tough past that sometimes he puts us on. I'm calling you to repent from that. And for some of you, I'm calling to repent of your sins and become part of the family of God. To go, I'm clearly not a Christian. That thing that you talked about, preacher, that's me. I'm clearly not part of the family of God. And I want to be. And so I'm calling you to repentance as well. I'm calling you to, uh, uh, to follow Jesus. To rebuild what the enemy is continuing to eat away and destroy in your own life. But to repent and turn from your sins and put your faith and uh, trust in the finished work of Jesus. For Christians, I'm calling you to live courageously in our culture. It's not going to get easier for us. And you're going to need to live courageously. Not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't do it on your own. You will crumble and fail and run the other way. But being empowered by the Holy Spirit, he can and will cause us and allow us to stand even in times of trouble. And along that same vein, to say, do it not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bow your heads and let's pray. And I want to read one verse from Isaiah 52. He is a restorer of broken walls. He is a rebuilder of lives. He is the repairer of shattered dreams. He is the restorer of all things broken. He'll do all that for you. He'll do all that for you and even more if you just turn to him in repentance and faith. Today can be your day of salvation. Today can be the day that you say an eternal yes to Jesus. Today can be the day that those broken promises, those broken dreams, that direction that you don't know where you're going can turn into faith in the living God. We invite you to do that today. God, do a good work in us today. Use this message.